back. Hi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am your host, Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. I am also your host, Kristen Flannery, or Lady Glockenflecken. And we're excited for you to be here. We got a um, a great episode for you, yes, uh, and one that's 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 pertinent to our lives. That's right. I mostly so Kristen's to talk life, to her. Uh, yeah. And so we'll get to that in a second. Well, before we get into that, though, um, so we had this weekend uh, was the second to last week of our daughter's little spring soccer, mm-hmm. uh, and um, we're also in the middle of a heat wave, though. Yeah. And so uh, it was like a perfect storm of of just unseasonably warm weather after we've had, you know, winter with a ton of rain in Portland. Yeah. And uh, phys- so it was like a, a switch just flipped. Yeah. So we had the heat plus physical activity. Yep. Uh, for, plus no shade, for, just direct sunshine. For eight-year-olds. Yeah. So you can and imagine. Then they're going to run around. You can imagine how, how this went. Yeah. There was a lot of complaining. <laughs> There's a lot of 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 uh, just the world is ending. Um, how could you make me do this? Right. Uh, I my legs don't work anymore, <laughs> which does make it difficult to play soccer. <laughs> oh man, the histrionics, uh, the exaggeration, the drama. Mm-hmm was out of control uh the especially final, from our child the, and gee i wonder where she gets that from and the final score was like two to one which normally these games are like you know t- 10 to 8 right. so just not a lot of of enthusiasm and so mm-hmm. it, was, it was a struggle and as as the uh, assistant coach for the under eight year old uh, girls uh team named the jelly bean tigers it mm-hmm. was a very uh, challenging to get people motivated to play yeah but yep. um, we got those through jelly it. beans were not being very tiger like. We got through it, yeah. Uh, and our team's pretty good. Yeah, they are. They've been together. What? Three years when did now. they start? Three years. This yeah, five year olds, yeah. and now they're eight year olds. Exactly. They're it's like been pretty much the same they're, team. They're a juggernaut. They're uh, they're like the <laughs> well New York Yankees the, of, uh, of of eight local of eight year old rec soccer. Yeah. <laughs> but it did, uh, you know. The older they get, the more they're experimenting with different sports, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's actually kind of relevant to our conversation today. Yeah, uh, physical because we talk a little bit about sports and uh, performing arts, and particular ballet mm-hmm. and gymnastics, which is what Kristen did a lot of as a right. as a as a I kid. I was a gymnast for ten years when I retired at the ripe old age of fifteen, as <laughs> gymnasts. And often the, do. And the reason we were talking about this is because we interviewed uh, Dr. Linda Bluestein, who is a right. board-certified anesthesiologist who is now practicing uh, as an integrative pain management specialist and does a ton of work on hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos, yes. hypermobility, spectrum disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's how it kind of relates to sports. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about I loved gymnastics and, and it was so fun. And I feel like you know, I would still do it if I could, even knowing what I know. But it, you know, it ended up. It turns out that I have, you know, I'm somewhere on the hypermobility spectrum. That's, you know, in the problematic end. And uh, I think gymnastics ultimately didn't really do my body any favors um, in my in my middle age. Um, but it was so fun. And so, you know, it's it's uh, it's tricky thinking about do you put your kids in something you know that they're interested in and are asking about. And, you know, that you did, it was so fun, but also, you know, that it, you know, they have the potential to, to, you know, kind of messed be up problematic their body a little mess bit. up their body. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, we talk about that a little bit with Dr. Bluestein. Um, it's chess. a tricky balance. Could put them in chess. In chess. Yeah. No, you know, if there's other parents out there wondering about that, right. It's what I have learned in my struggles is you want to look for things that, that, uh, foster strength and flexibility at the same time and so things like martial arts are really good things like mm. swimming really good but if you have a kid that's that's a little bit too flexible or has you know some party tricks uh you might want to just think about what kind of what kind of sports you're putting them into so mm. i don't know it's a different different criteria different decision for every I don't know family what the right, but right something good is. to think about and look into yeah now, all i do know is don't put eight-year-olds on a on mm-hmm. a 80 degree day 80 degrees that's all 
I know it doesn't sound, but again, they're they're organ kids. Yeah, they're all true. organ. People kids. in the South are like, what? Yeah, you're gonna be making fun of us, and I get it because I grew up. We both grew up in, in Texas. Texas. Yeah, so but now we can't take it anymore. I'd go and I'd play soccer as a kid, where it's like yeah. a thousand percent humidity, and, right? Uh, Hundred degrees, degrees and sun. and whatever. Like you just deal with it. But organ kids, they're yeah, and us too. We've acclimated. We've gotten soft. We've gotten, I've gotten so soft, like literally and figuratively. That's true. (laughs) So anyway, let's get to our guest here. Again, this is Dr. Linda uh, Bluestein. And so I hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, And uh, yeah, do I have anything else to add or am I just like, to well, I think, to talk I think, uh, for no you know, for, for people who might think, uh, oh, hypermobility has got nothing to do with me or, you know, I don't know. I could see how some people might think this is maybe not relevant to them, but actually, as it turns out, it is relevant to every specialty. And Dr. Bluestein uh, tells us why. So be sure to stick around and, yeah, and hear how it might relate to yours. Well, let's get to Dr. Bluestein. Here she is. All right, we are here with Dr. Linda Bluestein. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. It, I can't tell you how excited uh, Kristen in particular is to, to really talk am. to you today. <laughs> I am too, but she has just been like you know, circling on the calendar, just just so excited to talk with you. Aww, um, read your papers. I've that's been right. <laughs> listening to your podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's and so sweet. Yeah, and you have you have such a fascinating background and, and journey in medicine to where you came to be today. And uh, I, something that I've actually haven't heard of is performing arts medicine. Oh. So, so, so let's start there. Okay. <laughs> how did, because I, I, and, and just give people just the background of like, I guess how you got to that point where you're, you're focused on, you know, performing arts as, as one of the many things that you do. Well, I have to confess, I, I've always wanted to be a ballet dancer. That was my number one goal was to be a professional ballet dancer. But my body had other ideas at a fairly young age. So I had to come up with a plan B, which turned out to be medicine. But when I started really digging into hypermobility, and I didn't know that I was hypermobile or any, I didn't know about any of these conditions until I was probably in my 40s, I guess. And like most people, I started reading and I was like, oh my gosh, this literally could mm-hmm. explain my entire life, right? Yep. Like so many people have that same experience. So I, um, but I quickly realized dancers must have this really commonly. And as I started to do more and more research, I realized that they might not all have any, some kind of, you know, connective tissue disorder, but a lot of them do have joint hypermobility in one or more joints. And so by supporting them at a young age, maybe, just maybe, we can help keep people more active because I'm sure both of you have heard of or seen people who are in their 20s or you know even younger who are really, really disabled. And so I just want to avoid as much of that as possible and try to not over-medicalize, but catch people at the earliest possible stage and let them know what to watch for, what kind of things they can do. And it was a way to merge my love of medicine and my love of dance in this phase of my career where, you know, my husband's retired. Yeah. And he's like, come on, join me in the retirement. I (laughs) feel like I have not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I feel like I have more left to give. And that was just such a an easy yeah. marriage for me. I I love what you just said about merging, you know, the two two things you're very passionate about, you know, in science yeah. and medicine, and then um, we love know, it when we have arts. people who are both, you know, artists or creative in some way and really scientific, and you know, have become physicians. Well, I think I think most people in medicine are creative. I think right. most people mm-hmm. in general have creativity, but medicine has a way of just stamping that out, mm-hmm. like right. just, just removing that entirely from your life. And so, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it's such a great thing that you've been able to really focus in on, on combining those two things and, and keeping it alive. You know, we need more creativity in medicine, more people, you know, you know embracing that side of themselves. D- definitely. And so you're, you're certified in um, anesthesia. Is that right? Right. I, right. My, my training was very traditional. I went to UCLA medical school. Then I went to Mayo Clinic for residency and I'm board certified in anesthesiology. And I practiced for many years in the operating room. And um, so now what I'm doing is such an interesting path because I'm so open to 
any kind of information and try to judge, is this something that I can incorporate into my clinical practice? Is this something that I want to share with my audience? Because to me, the most frustrating thing about hypermobility is that there is so much low-hanging fruit that most people are not aware of. And so many people, I, I truly believe, end up in a worse situation than really they they needed to be in because they, their doctors didn't know this information. They didn't know this information. And we don't have enough data yet to be able to point to certain studies. But in the meantime, we can use anecdotal data, especially if it's something that's safe. You know, um, it, Of course, we have to weigh the risks and benefits of everything. But if we're recommending something that where the risks are pretty low, hey, why not try it? Yeah. Right. So how did you go from anesthesiology into integrative pain management and and what is integrative pain management so so i was practicing as an anesthesiologist and started getting more and more medical problems i had a lot of medical problems as a teenager and then was doing quite well for quite a number of years and then started running into more problems again and um, basically ended up having some pretty major surgeries in my left upper extremity which is my airway arm and uh, which it's every anesthesiologist airway arm I think even if you're even if you're left-handed, I think you still you hold have the to laryngoscope. Right yeah, exactly. I think you still hold the laryngoscope <laughs> with your left hand. Come to think of it, um, so it it became very very challenging for me after my last surgery. I had CRPS, complex regional pain syndrome, and I thought I would be able to go back to work. My surgeons predicted 12 weeks because I had bone grafting surgery, so that's a pretty big operation. Oh my gosh! And uh, because of the CRPS, I wasn't able to return, and so that was really hard. That was really, really hard. Yeah. And I'm such a curious person though. I still went to anesthesia conferences and met mm -hmm. people. And I met a woman who was the editor for a pain management journal. In fact, in fact, I, I literally have a copy of the most recent one that I wrote right here, but that was in 2017. And she asked if I would uh, write an article for their journal, which I did. And I was like, oh, what should I write it on? And I was in an Aqua Zumba class and I was like, oh, duh, I should write it on pain management for hypermobility because I had spent the last few years trying to improve my own quality of life. And I had a lot of pain. I mean, I had much more pain in my late 30s and 40s than I have now in my late 50s, which most of my patients wow. are very happy to hear um, about that aspect of things. So I I then uh, wrote this article and people started asking me, where can I come see you? And I had to tell them I don't have a practice. And finally, uh, my mentor, Pradeep Chopra, convinced me to open a practice. He's like, you're an anesthesiologist, so you know about the cardiopulmonary system, you know about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, gastrointestinal to a certain extent, and, you know, a lot of different skill sets that would be very helpful to manage pain in this population. And as, as an anesthesiologist, you do some pain management. And in fact, I did have a pain management practice right. my first two years after residency. So I was just returning back to what I had done um, previously. But I also really felt very strongly that there were enough people that were doing interventional pain management. And even though I had done epidurals and, um, you know, stellate ganglion blocks and ciliate ganglion blocks and things like that, I also was having enough issues with my hands. And I felt like there's a lot of people that are doing those things. I want to take the best of Western medicine and the best of Eastern medicine and be open to many, many different types of treatment approaches. And so integrative pain management just seemed like a, a really good way to go. Yeah. And there's just nothing. I mean, you know, speaking from experience, you know, I'm I'm somewhere on the hypermobility spectrum, somewhere problematic. I don't know exactly where. Um, but like you, I did not. I always knew that I was really flexible. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always had the party tricks, you know, my elbows bend too far and I could put my leg over my head still mm -hmm. in my late 30s, um, things like that. But it wasn't until and and I had had pregnancies that just were so painful mm. and I didn't know why. And I knew I did know, though, after our second kid, I was I knew somewhere in my body. This can't I can't do it again. Like mm. my body will break mm -hmm. if I tried to do that again. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know why. And of course, you know, all the you know, medical tests and, and anytime I had been to a doctor about anything, there's no like 
you know, obvious reason why any of this is happening. And even, you know, Will here, he's a physician. He's an ophthalmologist. So, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's I, different. But she knows not to come to me with but even him. You know, the thing that I got so nose. tired of hearing is you're fine. Right. If I could just strike those words from the English language, I would because I hate that phrase because no, I am not fine. You may not be able to tell what's wrong with me, but I am not fine. Right. And we're not allowed to say that around the house. Not at no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he would kind of poke fun and, and I would, too. I would laugh at myself of, you know, I'm always bumping into things. I'm always having bruises for reasons that I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just just all these random. I, sometimes I have trouble swallowing. And he said, how have you not learned how to swallow in 35 <laughs> years or whatever? Right. Like all these you do it little, every day. I'm just saying was, <laughs> right. was... a lot of practice, but I still <laughs> trip up on it sometimes. Um, you know, I've got some. I mean, I could go on and on and on the GI stuff right. that, you know, that I've only in retrospect, it wasn't until my physical therapist um, told me you are Same. more. Yeah. God love the physical therapist. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. But she told me I have never seen someone because with your range of motion mm. and I knew I was flexible, but that got me thinking like, OK, that's interesting because you do this all day, every day. Exactly. With lots of people. Mm -hmm for years now um and i had had a cervical disc replacement and so i mm. had physical therapy after that and i have um okay you're gonna have to help me with the words both of you it's <laughs> antero anterolisthesis uh, yes on one of my so like i don't know one of the upper two yep. right they're Slides. antero yep and then a couple of the lower two are retrolisthesis Yes. Yeah, retrolysis. And then I got some other weird thing happening in my lower spot. And like, who even knows anymore, you know? And it's so frustrating. How often do you hear this type of story, uh, Linda, about, Every you know, yeah, all these, all the time. this constellation of symptoms and, and, yeah. You know. and, and the, and, and the thing is, um, I feel like it's not even just a hypermobility problem. I, I took my son who's very athletic and he had, um, he was playing ultimate Frisbee and did a, you know, massive dive for the Frisbee landed on his shoulder and, you know, went in and got imaging. Cause I mean, the kid never complains of pain, but he was complaining of pain. And the, the PA came back in and said, you're fine. There, yes. and, and what I wish she would have said is there's nothing fractured, mm -hmm. but if you're hurting, you have a soft tissue injury. So you probably should baby it until it stops hurting. That's what she should have told him. And uh, my story, Kristen, is so similar to yours. I kept mm -hmm. telling my internal medicine doctor, something is wrong with me. I get yeah. injured really easily. My tissues, I had tearing of certain tissues during things that should not have happened. Um, right. I did have an ophthalmologic problem. I had a corneal ulcer at one point. So, oh. ouch. <laughs> yeah, that was really painful. That was actually while I was writing that 2017 article. So then trying to write the the post-March oh. release part was so painful. Oh, God. While that was... you have an eye infection? Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. It was That's horrible. when you need voice to text. Just close your eyes. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I hear this all the time. All the time. And I, what I wish people would realize is words matter. They matter yes. so much. If we just instead said, I don't know exactly what the problem is, but but I want to help you. And maybe they don't know at that visit how to help, but why don't you come back? We'll kind of, you know, they could have their staff look into some resources or something. Just, it's so frustrating when people are given messages because the labs are normal and the yeah. imaging is quote unquote normal. And they're right. told you're fine. It's like, right. well, wait a minute. Don't, aren't there limitations with our imaging and with our labs? And there's a lot with of our knowledge, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 And it's so it, it hurts so much to be dismissed like that when you know something is wrong, but you can't articulate what it is and they can't find what it is. Mm -hmm. And then you're written off as it's all in your head mm -hmm. or you're seeking attention or you're seeking drugs or, you know, they have all these other explanations in their minds for for why it is that you have, you know these visits with them. But, um, but that's why I love so much what you're doing because you educate, you know, in addition to your, to helping patients, you also educate physicians about 
hypermobility and the hypermobility spectrum, you know, disorder and Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and all of those things. And I think it's not, for whatever reason, it's not taught, but it seems so common. So I don't know Mm -hmm. why that is. Well, I'm just thinking about my education and, you know, I was taught about Ehlers-Danlos, but Mm -hmm. I, I guess I never really thought of hypermobility as a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. That, well, that's so. newer, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely newer. And, and Kristen, like you, I could put my feet behind my head. I could do all yeah. these different things, but I wasn't the bendiest dancer in in my class. So you were in a in a skewed population, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, that was a question actually I had. Was you talk about you know you know some maybe some patients not having an actual connective tissue like disease, right. but mm-hmm. so is it? I'll use ballet for an example. Is, is it the training that you go through that makes you hypermobile? Is, is there some part of that or is it like, is it what's the chicken, chicken or the egg? egg yeah. 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 It's a, it's a fascinating question. And uh, Professor Rodney Graham, Kristen, you probably know who he is. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but he's one of the grandfathers of Ehlers-Danlos and just a, a, an amazing man. But he published a study in 1972 comparing student nurses versus student ballet dancers. And he found that even the fifth finger, um, how much it could extend and also with 10 pounds of pressure, how far it extended. He found that that joint was more hypermobile in the student ballet dancers as compared to the student nurses, which would suggest that Part of it, at least, is that that when people are hypermobile, they will stay and dance longer. They're more drawn to the profession because they can excel at it. But right. Will, mm-hmm. to answer your question, there's also a lot of additional factors that can be involved. For example, let's say you have hip dysplasia. So that's when you have a really, really shallow hip socket, right? So if you have hip dysplasia, you can have incredible range of motion of your hips, but you might not have any other... Um, excessive range of motion in other joints. So that can be very beneficial in something like ballet, but maybe you don't have a connective tissue disorder. And nowadays, I think we're also seeing a lot of forced hypermobility because dancers are doing crazy things like Mm. putting their feet on chairs. I have patients who, you know, they say, oh yeah, my teacher, my dance teacher put my feet on chairs and then pushed my body down in between the chairs in the splits. So going into the hyper splits, yes, yes. You can imagine what that does to your knees and to your hips. So I I believe that there are some people where, you know, they're they start out they're hypermobile in a variety of joints. And so then they're drawn to ballet because they can excel at it and Uh other forms of dance. But I think of ballet in particular just because of the aesthetics of ballet. And then in other cases, I think that maybe people didn't start out hypermobile, but because of the training, then they developed hypermobility in some of the joints. Mm-hmm. Well, Kristen was a, you grew up as a gymnast. A gymnast, oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I had no problem. It was great because, you know, of course, all of this I've learned much later in life, but, you know, that really builds a lot of muscle as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, I was hypermobile, but I didn't have any issues with it at the time. I was young still, and I had you know, the strength, I think, to support it. But then, you know, once I went through my first pregnancy, it's like my body never recovered until I learned what I had and how to to support it. And, uh, you know, I'm even just now kind of figuring all of that out. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it it did. It made it easier to be a gymnast. But then, you know, now I'm like, I've got two daughters. I don't know if I want to put them in gymnastics because, you know, they're interested. And it was so fun. And it was such, I mean, I love gymnastics to the mm-hmm. point, like you, I'm sure that it's part of your identity, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but it has also done a lot. I, I don't know. It and my hypermobility probably have mm-hmm. have done a lot of damage. Um, so, yeah, it's always tricky thinking about, do you want your kids to do that stuff or maybe try to get them in, I don't know, swimming? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be better. <laughs> I, th- I think the devil is really in the details. You know, if you are yeah. at a school where, a, whether it's a dance school or a gymnastics studio um, or gym where the teachers are really respectful of the students and they're really trying to 
train them in the healthiest possible way. I really think that those kinds of activities are hugely beneficial because they're, they're good for our psyche. They're good for building muscle mass, as you pointed out. They're good for social engagement, which especially nowadays, you know, it's so easy to be disconnected from people, even for kids. So I think there's tremendous benefit that we can get from doing those kinds of activities. I think it's all in how we do them. Yeah, right. Well, I know whenever I met Kristen and I saw how flexible she was and knowing her gymnastic background, it made me realize just how inflexible I am. <laughs> It's like, I mean, I, th I thought I was like good being able to touch my toes when I was like 25. Uh, and like here she is able to like put her palms on the floor. It's like, uh, it's, it's well, I think the, the word you're looking start. for is normal. You were normal. Uh, well, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but, so. but I think I that's know. an interesting point and something that I tell people all the time. You know, you only know what your own body is like. Exactly. Kristen, you I can didn't know I was abnormal. Yeah, you can probably relate to this. Like, you know, you just get in the habit of basically dislocating your shoulders every time when you're when you're young and you're pre-symptomatic. You, when you put on a little top, you know, or a sports bra or something, you're basically, you may dislocate almost your shoulders, putting it on or taking it yeah, off, but, right. but you just do it because number one, if it doesn't hurt, just it doesn't, what your body does. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it doesn't worry you. But yeah, my husband is the same way. He's, you know, a lot less flexible than I am, but we, yeah. we just don't know. And you're right. Dealing with a skewed population. If you're training in ballet or something, then you, everyone around you is crazy right. flexible too often. So it yeah. just seems normal, but yeah, yeah that's why he, he ended up having to like do all the baths of our kids, you know, mm -hmm. because you have to like lean over the tub. And I could not do that without just really having a lot of shoulder pain. And I mean, mm -hmm. example after example after example, and I know you're familiar with them, but what can, so our audience is largely, um, you know, physicians or healthcare mm -hmm. workers or people training to be one or people who know one. <laughs> um, what can you look for as a medical professional what should they be paying attention to or what should what should make the little bell go off in their head that says, oh, maybe this person is hypermobile. And then what do they do about it? Sure. So that's a fabulous question. And I will start out with the punchline and then we'll back up. There's a, right. there's a saying that was, I believe, first said by Dr. Heidi Collins. If you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. Mm. And I think that well, summarizes it beautifully because... Yeah. You know, someone comes into your office and they've got gastrointestinal complaints. They're dizzy when they stand up. They've got some musculoskeletal stuff that you can't explain. See? Yeah, <laughs> Tendinopathies. You know, it, it's, it is interesting, though, because I also see so often people also on the flip side, you know, thinking that everything is related. So, mm. you know, it's... Mm -hmm. um, it's having that balance of you know understanding connective tissue and and what it does and that it is present everywhere in the body and so you know a great example is if you have lax connective tissue in your gastrointestinal tract it makes sense that you're going to have slower motility through the gastro gastrointestinal tract which could put you at risk for SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth in the upper gastrointestinal tract. And then constipation is an extremely common problem for people um, in the lower gastrointestinal tract, and they can have evacuatory disorders, et cetera. Um, gastroparesis or slow gastric emptying is just extremely common. And so people get nausea, they get pain, abdominal pain after eating and things like that. So it's, it's so incredibly important for people no matter what your specialty is, um, to just be aware that connective tissue is everywhere. So regardless of your specialty, you will see these patients. And so having it on your radar can just be so incredibly helpful. I saw an ENT doctor once, speaking of swallowing, I saw an ENT doctor once and I was having recurrent sore throat without infection. And I didn't understand what was going on. And of course they scoped me. What, what do they always do? They scope you, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, basically told me, no, this couldn't be related to your EDS. I was like, hmm, well, okay, if you say so. But if you think about it, why would that part of the body be exempt? You know, I mean, we, right. there's, there's a lot of connective tissue in the upper airway. And so I was having a vocal strain and I ended up actually ultimately going to um, speech therapy for my recurrent sore throat without infection. And that mm. did help a lot. And a lot of my patients have swallowing difficulties and, um, you know, challenges of speech and cervical, cervical stability issues, mm -hmm. various, you know, musculoskeletal, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much 
any system that you can think of is something that we need to really be thinking about. Right. Yeah. I used to ask people, do you ever feel like your head is like too heavy for your neck? You know, (laughs) and they would look at me funny and no. (laughs) And then I'd come to find out, oh, my head was too heavy for my neck because my neck was so, you know, weak. It had so many instability issues. So, Mm. yeah, I love that. If you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues, because I think what happens a lot right now is if you can't connect the issues, say you're fine. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. So let's move away from that model into thinking about the connective tissues before yeah. you say you're fine. And, let's and, just strike your fine, in fact. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It's totally. Really and, and, you know, I think it's so important for us as physicians to be able to say, I don't know, and for patients to not judge us for saying, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I see people say, I just want my doctor to say, I don't know. But then I also know that I've heard from patients who are talking about another physician and they'll say, they didn't know. It's like, yeah, you can't possibly know even everything within your own pretty narrow scope. I, my husband and I used to joke, especially for ophthalmologists. I, we have a cousin who's a retinal surgeon, and and we would joke that ophthalmology has become so specialized that pretty soon you're going to specialize in either the right eye or the left yeah. eye. <laughs> yeah, or just a part of the right, right eye, eye or the yeah. left right. eye. Right. That, yeah, we have like seven different uh, subspecialties. It's Where you will only be dealing with three square millimeters. Right, right. <laughs> well, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, you talked a, a bit about transitioning from your job as an anesthesiologist, you know, leaving the operating room, uh, which I, I assume was, was not because of, um, at least in part, uh, dealing with the surgeon personalities was that did that play into your decision at all i know there's like some health issues but i mean let's be honest it's okay you can be truthful here okay well if i'm going to be truthful man i would have left the operating room a long time ago and it wasn't the ophthalmologists that were the most guilty but my husband oh, is a surgeon me. my husband uh, my wow. yeah my husband is a okay. urologist with a u yes uh-huh. And I say with the U because urology and neurology, of course, sound very right. similar. So yes. that's yes. why I have to clarify. But um, he used to say to me all the time, you have so many issues. Your issues have issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because we didn't know what was wrong with me. Like you yeah. guys, you know, we didn't know. Right. And uh, it was hard for him, you know, to understand. And, yeah. and, you know, as a surgeon, you're very used to having more discrete problems and you have you yeah and you're either I, I, yeah. yeah i love having just one problem to deal with yeah <laughs> yeah that's fantastic and but it's the same right of a, it sets up this marital dynamic right of, right yeah, yeah. you're fine <laughs> yeah and it and it's a binary thing you're going to operate on the person or you're not pretty much mm-hmm. you know yeah and, well then maybe can i can i just say instead of saying you're fine can i just say i'm an ophthalmologist <laughs> Is that is that, I would is that better? I prefer you leave your profession out of it and be a sympathetic husband. Okay, I can but we do can that. talk about that off mic. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a big challenge that a lot of people face. And I see people on all ends of that spectrum. I see patients mm. where it's like, do you understand what your spouse is going through? Like this is, you know, we all have to do our part, right? I mean, we all need to recognize that, of course, we have needs, but everyone else in our life, they have needs too. So it's trying to strike that balance. And it is really, it is hard. Marriage is hard. Life is hard. You know, striking that balance can be really hard. But my husband and I just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. So you guys probably aren't even that old. So... (laughs) Sadly, we are. We feel yeah. like it. We're well, not old enough to be married thirty-one years, but we're we're getting up there. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's take a quick break, and then uh, we'll come back here and talk some more with Dr. Linda Bluestein. Hey, Kristen, I have a PSA for you and all of our listeners from our friends from Tarsus. Let's hear it. You know how sometimes you can get red, itchy, irritated eyelids. Okay. Well, do you know what that might be? What? Eyelid mites. No. Yeah, it's no. true. It's a disease. It's called Demodex blepharitis. That's disgusting. It's pretty common. That's horrifying. So if you have itchy, red, irritated eyelids, go talk to your eye doctor. They can take a look at you. Tell you if you're not alone. That's right. But don't freak out. Just get checked out. All right. To find out more, go to eyelidcheck.com. Again, that's eyelidcheck.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It just sits there in the room with you, just helps you be more efficient, and it helps with uh, reducing clinical documentation burden. Yeah, and that can help you feel less overwhelmed and burnt out and just kind of restore the joy to practicing medicine. And we all want that. So stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are back with uh, Dr. Linda Bluestein. So Linda, we are going to, uh, I, you know, as for all of our guests, we ask you to bring a couple stories because we like, we love stories on this podcast. And uh, and you, you, I have a couple prompts for uh, that were um, from you to like remind me to, 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 you know, get you to talk about these stories. And I have to do it because one of them, all it says is eyes and nose, <laughs> which is, uh, I mean, you know how to how to really get me excited about something. Just put I in there. And so uh, please tell us uh, what, what do eyes and nose have to do with your history and your time as a physician? Okay. So for those that are just listening, you are missing me blushing like crazy right now because this this was so embarrassing. I was a third year medical student and as well as you know like you know when you start your third year you're you are brand new into the ro- clinical Green. rotations and I know now there is a little bit more in some schools anyway there's a little bit more of a clinical introduction earlier on in the process but at UCLA back in the dark ages when we had stone tablets the first two years were all in the classroom and then the third year you're doing your clinical rotation. So anyway, I was on the ward at one of the hospitals and I was uh, going around with my staff and, you you know, the tiers, right? I was the medical student. Then you have the junior resident, the senior resident, et cetera. And they asked me about this particular patient that I was taking care of. And they asked me, well, how are their eyes and nose? And I was like, what? And they they said, well, go ask the nurses because they were in morning report. They said, go ask the nurses this question. I mean, they clearly didn't realize that I didn't know what they were talking about. So I go into this room full of nurses. They're sitting there at their own morning report. And there were probably 20 of them sitting around the table discussing different patients and, and you know, exchanging information and things like that. So I said, on rooms, 302. Um, I need to know about their eyes and nose. And they all looked at me like, what? And then one of them said, do you mean their eyes and O's? <laughs> Intake and output. Oh, my God. Not eyes and nose. <laughs> and I just like... Oh, and they, oh, you must have died. I was dying. I mean, they got such a good chuckle out of it. And then, and then of of course, when I had to come back and, you know, with my head hanging and, and tell my staff, okay, so apparently you were asking for eyes and O's and not eyes and nose. (laughs) You know, that misunderstanding actually, I think might've saved you because (laughs) Um, going into a room where a bunch of nurses are doing sign out and interrupting their sign out and asking a question, that's like a, another way to, to get, uh, disappeared in medicine. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, I think instead you gave them a laugh, which <laughs> much sure safer. they probably needed that yeah. anyway. So right, right. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's uh, funny. And then you gave it one more, uh, this time as a, I love stories as a, whenever a physician can relate to, uh, or, you know, experiences as a patient as well. And so, uh, you also have one, uh, that involves a tennis ball at a wedding. <laughs> I love, see, this is the way we need to do it. I, I want like two or three words yeah, yeah. that really get me like, okay, what on earth is this going to be uh, about? As soon as you said that, I was like, you probably were wondering what a tennis ball at a wedding. <laughs> um, so, so this was when I was in a really dark time health wise and had no idea what was going on. And my doctors didn't know what was going on. And I was undergoing all kinds of procedures and they kept thinking that my problem, my main problem at that point was like ridiculous uh, pain going down my left leg. So pain that was kind of shooting from my, my back down in the back aspect of my left leg. And so I was going to a wedding of a, of a cousin, another cousin story. And I was going to go, even though I was in a lot of pain. And I had figured out that by sitting on a tennis ball and kind of putting it underneath 
that hamstring insertion area probably it just was painful enough that it kind of distracted me from my original pain. And that's how it was felt to be helpful. But anyway, I brought a tennis ball for this purpose, right? So I'm, you can probably already guess where this is going. So I'm sitting in my seat and I've got the tennis ball underneath my, you know, uh, underneath my leg, right? Upper leg. And I'm sitting there with the tennis ball and it's the middle of the ceremony. And somehow the tennis ball broke free and goes rolling down the aisle. (laughs) Oh no. Oh Oh, my gosh. It was so embarrassing. Did you have to go chase after it? I did. I did go chase (laughs) after it. Oh no. I would have just let it go. <laughs> you know, who did that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, good. I probably should have just let it go, but I did go chase after it. Yeah, and and we were sitting, you know, pretty close to the front. Nobody missed oh, me going and perfect. getting that ball. And I'm sure, I mean, yeah. you know, balance, balance, balance. Yeah. See, now right. everybody has a wonderful, weird story about a time they, you know, someone was chasing a tennis ball at a wedding. So yeah, there yeah, you go. Exactly. <laughs> Was great? If there's anyone that was in attendance that's listening to this, they're gonna be like, "Oh my gosh, I was there!" <laughs> oh, that's why. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, I want to get into the because uh, I'm really excited about this this game. This is the first time we've played this little game. Okay. Um, it's uh, called this for me. Yeah, that's for right. you. It's called backwards medical smret. 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 Because uh, what we're going to be doing is spelling. It's a spelling test. Oh no. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, it's a, a there are uh, two different types of words that that um, actually Kristen has. I helped her put together the list, but I don't know which one she's going to ask. Um, there's there's hypermobility terms, and there's also some ophthalmology terms. Oh boy! On there. <laughs> and it's called medical uh, backwards medical smret because we're going to be spelling the words backwards. Oh boy! Okay. All right. Oh, smret is term. It's terms backwards. spelled backwards. I see that. Yeah. Okay. Backwards medical smret. There you go. <laughs> oh, All right. <laughs> so, do you would you like to? I, I, let's let's have our guest go first. Okay. I was gonna say I'll try to start with an easy one for you, but I. All of these words are horrendous. Then, then don't then well, don't then don't give an ophthalmology term. Well, I was no, gonna yeah, say, I know. I was, was going to say, given that I was, in the hypermobility yeah, area, yeah. yeah, given that I was struggling with terms, I'm getting a little nervous <laughs> right now, and I'm getting out a pen. <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go. Um, okay, this I think this might be the easiest one I have. I don't even know how to say these things. Yes, so that's, apologies that's, to the listeners. That's why if this I is going to be so fun. Is because Kristen has never. She actually this is the first time she's seen this list. And I am not in medicine, so yeah. I so we know. get to hear her pronounce these. Let's okay. Okay. Osteopenia. Penia. Yeah. Osteopenia. Okay. Osteopenia. That's good. Now right. am I supposed to spell that backwards? You, yeah, you spell, spell backwards. that backwards. Yeah. Oh boy. Do I get to write this? You don't have to pronounce it backwards. Yeah, yeah, just spell it. You just spell it backwards. Okay. A I N E P O E T O S O. Yes. Very nice. Nice. Well done. You got it. All right, give me okay. one. Give me one. Okay, one for you. Well, what is osteop- osteopenia? Oh, yeah, like tell us what Lack it is. of a... Uh, low bone density. Low bone density, yeah, yeah. Okay. Something I'm getting evaluated for this week. Osteopenia, osteoporosis, so, yeah. There you okay. go. We'll is that more common in hypermobile it patients is. or just... It is, Okay. yeah. Um. Okay, I'll, I'll do the same. I'll start with an easier ophthalmology one for you, <laughs> and then I won't be nice anymore, so. Um, aniridia. Aniridia. Yeah, lack of an iris. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that was a thing. It is. It is a thing. And aniridia. Wow. um, A I D I R I N A. Yes, you got it. There's a lot of eyes in there. Why is ophthalmology so. Ophthalmology is so full of vowels. Yeah, you guys have it's your... It's full of eyes. You have Will. your own... Yeah, it's, it's full, full of eyes. Of <laughs> it's, eyes. it's full of eyes. That's true. <laughs> and you have Ooh, this so many acronyms. Oh, my god. We gosh. do. Yes, we, 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 we throw them at people. Yeah. And it just makes people more scared about eyeballs. So. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Dr. Bluestein, let's go with... Oh, this is, um you know, topical. Mm-hmm. Spondylolisthesis. Oh, Okay. <laughs> that's such a long <laughs> so long 
Okay. S-I-S. If I could read my own handwriting, it would be easier. <laughs> S-I-S-E-T-H-I-L-O. Did I make a mistake? L-Y-D-N-O-P-S. I think, okay. So there was somewhere you said T-H, where I think it should have been H-T. H-T. Or, oh, yeah. uh, but other than that. Other than that, I, I did okay. Did okay. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good, Okay, though. and spondylolisthesis is what? Spondylolisthesis is where you, like you were talking about earlier, where where the bones, instead of stacking nicely, where they slide. Forward the, 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 or... Sorry, the vertebral bodies. Yeah, yeah. Vertebral bodies do it. Yeah. Okay. Sounds painful. It is, quite. Yeah, so then there's the retrolisthesis and anterolisthesis. Oh, right. I gotcha. right. And I have both because I'm a lucky winner. Is that common? Does that, is it like there's no... Does it usually go one way or another way or no? It, it, it's it's very common and it's really important to know what the grading is. And it's so, again, this is where the words matter so much. I have patients who they were literally told, you have the worst spine I've ever seen. Oh, That yeah. really, you know, does a lot yeah. psychologically. So right. I really feel yes. like uh, we need to be so careful with those kinds of things. And I, I was offered once to have a free a free upright MRI. And I was like, of my neck, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Cause yeah. I'm not having problems. I don't want to know, like, you know, yeah, it's not going to change what's happening. It's, in not, there. Change, it's not going to change anything that I'm doing. So yeah. Yeah. That's smart. All right. Don't give okay. me, give me a, give me a, a hypermobility word. Oh, I, I, I spent all day with okay. ophthalmology terms. Yeah, but those words are harder. Okay. Start. I'll give you, I'll give you a hypermobility and then I'm coming back. Okay. Um, Kyphoscoliosis. Kyphoscoliosis. S I S O I L O C S O H P Y K. You got it. Woo. Discovering one eye help. You had your yes, eye covered the I whole was, time. I, that's my I was trying to I'm I, I'm just smashing my head to hold my brain in place I so that I can, I can think better that way I oh love it okay what is like that too? Yeah, yeah right yes. just covering one eye oh my god is it better one or two yeah so what is kyphoscoliosis oh um, <laughs> uh, yes kyphoscoliosis is is where um it's a an abnormal curvature of the spine. Um, I guess I think of like lordosis as as like a con concave kind of, and then kypho is like the opposite. Wait, how do you do, Doctor Bluestein? Mm, I, I think how he you, did okay. How would you describe? Yeah, what is what is the definition? Because I know we put that in there. Curvature of the spine. Kyphosis is the is the upper spine. Oh. You know, being be, being hunched. Right. Kyphoscoliosis. I'm not sure if that refers specifically to the upper spine having a scoliotic curve. I'm not sure. Oh, it's like a kind of a sideways curve. Okay, yeah, maybe. it says a curvature of the spine in both the lateral and posterior directions, which can be caused by EDS. Ah, okay. So it's it's so going to be like a yeah. Probably lateral. could be lumbar or thoracic. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, Do a couple right. more. A couple more. Doctor Bluestein. Um, dysautonomia. A I M O N O T U A S Y D. Yay! You got it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Pretty good. I'm impressed. Dysautonomia. Should we define what yes. dysautonomia is? Please do, because I have these uh, symptoms sometimes and have many a time been told by this man here. You're fine. Oh, come on. <laughs> You're making me look bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you know how many times? No, my... but they are. They're just like weird little things that all on their own. It's like <laughs> yeah. a nothing burger, right? But then when you see the pattern of them together, it starts to become and, something. And it's so important because um, something like dysautonomia, again, most of these things are, are, are somewhat on a spectrum. So dysautonomia is dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that, you know, controls all of your automatic bodily functions. So your, uh, basically your, you know, gut motility, the size of your pupil, your, um, temperature regulation, your heart rate, your blood pressure, all of those kinds of things. And especially, um, upright posture requires a lot of effort on the part of your autonomic nervous system. So it's very common for people with these conditions to experience problems with that. But hmm. if you have the flu and you're in bed for a week, you're going to have the same type of picture. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's knowing how much is problematic also. 
So a lot of times people read some of these things and they think, oh, I have that or I've had that. But it again, it's, you know, if you if it's happened to you a few times, that's one thing. But if it's something that you struggle with on a regular basis, that's that's a whole nother ballgame. Right. Yeah. For me, it's the dizziness and lightheadedness. You get dizzy all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, right. Will. One more. I can do it. Okay. You ready? <laughs> Although I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of brain power today. <laughs> you got to get ready with the hands. It's not even, it's not even yep. noon. Okay. Get your hands ready. <laughs> Squeeze right. your head. All right. Give me a word. Cyclophotocoagulation. Oh, gee. <laughs> You're the one that put it on this list. This so. Ophthalmology is so full of <laughs> syllables. Cyclo- Cyclophotocoagulation. Coagulation. N O I T. A L U G A O C. You got the coagulation. O T O P H P. There you go. O L C Y C. Yay! That's impressive. That, that is, is all right. incredibly really impressive. Cytophotocoagulation. That's, that's nine much. syllables. That's, that's that's that word should not exist. That's How? way too long. Uh, so. What is it? Cyclophotocoagulation <laughs> is a is a treatment that you uh, typically it's, it's for glaucoma where mm. you destroy some of the ciliary body, which is what uh, produces um, aqueous fluid in the eye. Mm. So by destroying it, you can decrease the amount of fluid in the eye you know, basically, and decrease the pressure. So, gotcha. which is a treatment for glaucoma. There well, you go. there you go. And I've the never heard know. that word before in my life. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you probably will never hear it uh, again. again. Yeah. That, that's, that's the last time. <laughs> Unless um, you end up needing it, which well, hope you don't. Uh, thank you for horrible. playing backwards medical smret oh, with us. Oh, man. <laughs> let's take another. Excellent job, Bo. <laughs> thank you for let's taking take it easy on me. <laughs> oh, yeah, we tried. Let's take another quick break and we'll come back. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. You know how much I love Grammarly. Not as much as I love Grammarly. Uh, I'm pretty sure I love Grammarly a little bit more than you do. Those are fighting words. It's because I need it. I I'm just, I need help with my writing. Well, that's true. You know, organizing, mm-hmm. generating outlines, mm-hmm. finding the right tone for things. Yes, that's a big one. Think of all the writing we have to do. Live so show. So much. Yes, the newsletter. It just emails. Lots of writing all the time. All the things. Mm-hmm. And now it's even better than ever, Grammarly. Because you can use it everywhere. Yes. All the platforms. Absolutely. Google Docs, Slack, Canva even. Mm-hmm. Social media. Instagram captions. Yes. Perfect. I always need help with Instagram captions. Well, yeah. Grammarly is there. It's always there to help. It's great. Like 93% of professionals using Grammarly Premium report that it helps them get more work done. I would agree with that. I think I'm in that 93%. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, we are back. Let's take a look at some of our favorite medical stories sent in by our listeners. And we have Dr. Linda Bluestein here to listen to these stories with us. Our first one is from an anonymous uh, source. Hello, Dr. G and Lady G. I have an embarrassing mistake story from intern year. Uh, first, I was only a couple weeks into my general surgery intern year mm. when all the best stories happen. <laughs> like the first few weeks of intern year, you can attest, Linda. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> on a night float service. It's getting even better. Uh, so uh, covering multiple teams and, you know, when you're on night float, yeah, you don't know the patients like super well. Like you just you kind of like you're aware of the issues, but, you, you know, you're just stepping in and, and take and trying to just make sure everyone survives. Over and and hoping nothing bad happens. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I got a page from a nurse that a patient's blood sugar was 700, which is very high. Okay. I referred to my insulin sliding scale, gave the nurse an order to give a lot of insulin. Maybe an hour later, I got a page. Is this the intern on call? I said, yes. I said, this is Dr. C, the chief resident. Did you just give my wife insulin? Oh. My first thought was, of course not. But the patient from before was indeed oh, no. his wife. So his patient's spouse is his chief resident? Yes. Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, she said, yeah, well, yes, I did give insulin. Well, she is hypoglycemic now. 
it turns out the blood sugar value the nurse called me about was from the not from a routine finger stick, but was blood drawn from a line just downstream from the TPN. Oh no! What is that? So TPN is when you're getting nutrition through an IV. So if you take okay. a blood from oh, right so where that's like going in, right, you're gonna just taking the sugar that was going into her for <laughs> yeah. her for oh, distribution yeah. around her entire body yes. and just concentrating exactly. it exactly measuring. Oh boy! And so you can see how that could be an a false number that seven hundred. Yeah. Lesson lesson learned here. Oh no. Uh, so this is the, the the story. The person who sent this in says, "Lesson learned: If a lab value sounds crazy, confirm the source and/or repeat it yourself." Fortunately, she was okay, but it, but I was mortified and never made that mistake again. I bet. Yeah. That is, man. We all have things like that, yep. though, right? I oh mean, yeah. You know, you you learn something like that, and it, it's true. You never make a mistake like that again. Uh, some of the mistakes that, that the I chief resident was involved, you know, that it wasn't just like an anonymous yeah. patient in their family. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some of the mistakes you just never make because you're now smarter and some mistakes you never make again, because like, if you're like me, you just leave that part of medicine forever. <laughs> That's another way to do it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Our second uh, story comes from Colby. The first time I felt like an actual doctor was as an August intern, again, intern year. Beginning of intern year. During an emergency medicine rotation. A guy in his early 20s came in with intense lower abdominal pain, so severe he was vomiting. After passing him through the Donut of Truth, which is another oh. name for the CT scanner, oh. Oh. <laughs> he had a... He had a testicle in his inguinal canal. I, I don't know hmm? what that is, but I take it it does not belong there. Nope, it does not. It's too high, too high up. Uh, so it's not in the scrotum. It's up in the inguinal. In the body. Yep. So he either had three testicles or one had retracted back into his inguinal canal. The patient was unaware of any issues with his testicles. And when he checked on his boys, he started to panic as there was only one only home. Only one home. <laughs> I was able to palpate and then reduce the testicle in the ED and his pain immediately resolved. I was so excited. I am back in the into the work. I went back to the workroom and said, I have ball skills like Steph Curry. <laughs> <laughs> I was subsequently oh called Steph for the remainder of my rotation. Oh, my oh that's gosh, hilarious. That Colby hilarious. sounds like a party. I, I love those two stories because like the highs and lows of intern. Yes. Yeah. That is classic training, right? Totally. You make some horrifying mistakes that you're just embarrassed by, but then you do like the most amazing things. They'll just give you that high for like an entire keeps month you going. Sometimes. Yeah, just keeps you going totally. Uh, so thank you guys for those stories. Send us your stories. Knock knock high at human contentcom uh, Dr. Linda Bluestein, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we go though, um, tell us what you what you got going on. Anything you want to promote? Where can people find Where can you? People find you all the things. Sure, sure. So. A few years ago, I founded uh, an a second organization called Bendy Bodies. So my medical practice is Hypermobility MD, and I it, it was originally Wisconsin-based, and I had a different name, but then uh, I changed the name a few years ago. So that's my medical practice. And then the rest of my work is through Bendy Bodies, which is a organization designed to help people anywhere on the spectrum, regardless of where they are on the hypermobility spectrum, and supporting them in creating a better quality of life through educational resources like my free podcast. And I also do offer one-on-one -on -one sessions through Bendy Bodies, which allows people who cannot become a patient because they cannot travel to Colorado or Wisconsin, allows them to get a consultation and information that they can either enact on their own and or take to their local healthcare professionals to take the next steps. That's amazing. Awesome. I wish I had had something like that, you know. <laughs> 10 years ago or something when I had no idea what was going on. And you've also posted a, a couple of articles um, that are on your website, mm -hmm. correct? Right. Uh, that, are, that are really, really fascinating and yeah. have a lot of great information. Yeah, they're and it sounds like they are they're, hope, for, hope for hypermobility. Yep, it sounds like hyper they are directed mostly towards um, medical professionals too for some continuing yeah. education. Right. So this is a continuing medical education um, journal, and they contacted me um, again after writing the 2017 article. They contacted me not too long ago and asked if I wanted to write an update, and I was fortunately able to pull together a bit of a team because back in 2017 I didn't have a practice. I was out on medical leave basically, and so. I had like all the time in the world, really. So writing an article back then was a lot easier. So this time around, it was huge that I was able to to pull together a team to write a two-part. It ended up being so long 
and they didn't want to cut anything out, they said, well, why don't we make this a two-part series? And it, it is a subscription CME journal. However, yeah. <laughs> I think we did a nice job in really kind of outlining why clinicians need to know about these things, what are the things that you could expect to see in your clinical practice, what to watch for. And then the part two is what are some treatment approaches that I have found successful in my practice. I love that. Perfect. You don't just point out the problem. You actually like are providing at least, you know, something you can do to treat it while we are are still learning more about it and, and working. Right. On and and, and one person, um, you know, so I don't know how often will that you get uh, trolls or whatever on social oh. media because, you know, all the time. And, yeah, and my husband my, and my husband is constantly telling me, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Yeah. But sometimes it is you know, they, they kind of make you think about things, but one person was like reading, they read part two and they're like, okay, so basically eat, eat healthy and, you know, exercise that you're, you're telling me nothing that I don't already know. But as Peter Atia talks about in his amazing book outlive that just recently came out that I'm just devouring. He, he says for people to have these bonus years or bonus decades, it's not just the what, but the how. So I feel like with people with hypermobility, that the devil really is in the details and it's really the how is so much harder for people to accomplish. So by giving them some extra guidance and how they can actually achieve these things, I think is really important. Yeah. I mean, you have to learn First of all, there's a whole like process of like acceptance, right? And yes. this new identity that you have for yourself of I don't have a normal body. I can't do easy normal things that people usually do. But I can do these other things to help me get there or at least a little closer. Yeah. Um so it's like learning how to move your body, not just that you should move your body, but how should you and how shouldn't you and that differs from the, you know, quote unquote normal population. So, uh but definitely go grab those. Thank you so much for being here. This really was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I love what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Vice versa. I I just want to jump out of my seat and and take you to lunch and talk to (laughs) you. Me too. So (laughs) hey, I'm I'm free. Let's go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Take care, Dr. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. Yes. So interesting. I could talk for days and days and days about that. She, she was, was really fascinating to listen to and her story. Yes. And, and I know, uh, you've been, it's like Christmas morning for you. I know. Well, when you go your whole life with this thing that no one can explain and everyone tells you is all in your head and then you find an explanation for it, you know, you just want to shout it from the rooftops. So I love what she's doing. I hope everybody goes to check Check out her work and learn more about hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. Um, It's, it's important things. And like she said, you all have them and you are seeing these patients every day. Um, You just may not be recognizing it yet so definitely go check out how to recognize them and uh, thank you for everybody for sending your stories into us we love those as well uh and again let us know what you thought of the episode uh what you thought of our (laughs) what is it backwards medical smirt smret smret yeah that's right smret it's difficult to say that's that's you should say it in that tone next time Uh, there's lots of ways to hit us up to give us your thoughts. You can email us, knockknockhi at human-content.com. We're all over social media, all the platforms. Or you can hang out with us on our <laughs> at, and our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. And thank you to all the great listeners leaving wonderful feedback and reviews, even after all of my fumbles throughout all this episode. Uh, if you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like today. We got at Dorky Doctor Songs now, on YouTube. I'm intrigued. I Dorky Doctor Songs. need to go look that up after this. Yeah. yeah. Do, 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 at Dorky Doctor Songs on YouTube said, you too have become my battling the traffic soundtrack on the days I drive into work <laughs> and at a very non-ophthalmologic hospital. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I could help, especially with hospital work. I'm enjoying your podcast, and it even entertains my non-medical husband. Oh, yay. That's I love what that. we like to that's, hear. That's some of my favorite feedback right yes. there. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, dorky doctor songs. Absolutely. Keep sending us all of your your guest ideas, your stories, your jokes. We'd love to hear all that stuff. And maybe send your songs over to... That's right. Yeah. Your, your dorky doctor songs. Yeah. Um, full video episodes of this podcast are up every week on my YouTube channel at dglockenflecken. We also have a Patreon. Lots of fun perks, bonus episodes, or react to medical shows and movies. Hang out with other members of this community. 
we're there. We love seeing you. We love uh, commenting, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A live stream events. Mm -hmm. Behind uh, the scenes yeah, stuff. Lots more. Uh, Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Shaban S. Hey, Shaban, how Welcome. you doing? Thanks for joining. Uh, shout out to all the Jonathans, as always. We got Stephen G, Abby H, Brianna, Lee C, Chaver W, Dr. J, Edward K, Jonathan A, Jonathan F. Love having two Jonathans in the Jonathan <laughs> uh, Patreon tier. Uh, Caitlin C, K, L, Leah, Lucia C, Marion W, Mark, Mary H, Miss. Dear Granddaddy, Omar, Patrick, Roskbox, and Sharon S. Patreon roulette time. All right, emergency medicine okay, tier. Drum roll, please. Random shout out to Kelly B. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thanks for being a patron. And thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockenfleck. And special thanks to our guests today, Dr. Linda Bluestein. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corny, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portiza. Our music is by Omar Binsby. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs, program disclaimer, and ethics policy, submission verification, and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockenflecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns if you have to. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Hey, Kristen, do you know why I got into medicine in the first place? To spend your evenings on documentation, of course. Uh, no. Actually, that never even crossed my mind. Mm, weird. I got into medicine to actually take care of patients, to mm. to be able to form relationships with them that and, is a and better care reason. for them, to listen to them, to actually look at their eyeballs while I'm treating their eyeballs. Well, I would hope that you look at where you're treating. It's an important part of being an ophthalmologist, and it's easier than ever with the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It's just in the room with you, and it helps you be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. Uh, it basically lets you get back to being a physician and practicing the way you want to practice. So it's like having a Jonathan. It really is. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.